Thank you for tuning in to our Bear Creek AG podcast. You are about to listen to our weekly Bible study with Pastor Tony. Thanks for joining in. So we're going to pick up tonight in chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians. Um, just as a follow-up, remember that Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. And in chapter 2, he was dealing with the fact that these Corinthians had given undue prominence, if I could use that word, to preachers and leaders. Remember, they were talking about, I follow Apollos, and I follow Cephas, and I follow uh, Paul. And uh, these, these people that they were speaking of were, 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 were leaders in their lives uh, who helped bring them to faith and helped disciple them. But instead of regarding these men as, men as colleagues or tools, as we would, as we're going to talk about tonight, in the service of Jesus, they made them rivals. Just by the comparison, it really, even though uh, Paul and Peter and Apollos may not actually have been uh, conflicting with one another over this, the fact that these people, and this is something we need to take in mind when it comes to church leadership in particular, but these these members of this church, by doing that with these leaders, actually made these leaders rivals, even though they weren't intended to be rivals. It was a subtle form of worldliness, and that's what Paul is dealing with here. And part of the devil's strategies, as I looked at chapter 3, is to encourage us to make bad things uh, of something good, right? That's one thing that Satan loves to do. He wants to take something that's good, and he wants to make it, it, it bad. And this is the case. These men who had fed into the lives of these believers, led them to the Lord as Paul did many of them, and, and Apollos came behind and discipled many of them. It, that was a good thing, but because of the attitude or the worldly perspective of these Christians, what happened was it created a rivalry which ended up being bad. And that's what the enemy loves to do. So as we look at chapter 3 and 4, Paul encourages the believers at Corinth to avoid uh, this cause of division by recognizing how worldly and unspiritual this view of people really is. Okay, And so let's look at that. Let's read verses 1 through 4 of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. So what Paul is referring to here, he's either referring to when he was in Corinth and founded the church and or the first letter. Remember, we talked about there was a letter that was lost. So, But either way, he's talking about the previous uh, uh, involvement he had in their lives. Indeed, you're still not ready. They have not matured any. And the evidence is what? You are still worldly. So he said, I have invested in you. Uh, I gave you milk. And uh, But yet you're still worldly, and it's obvious that you're still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Good question. Are you not acting like mere humans, meaning people who are not followers of Christ? Human doesn't mean flesh in the sense that human beings. Of course they were. He's talking about mere men, men who have not uh, been regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit, those who are not following Christ. For when one says, I follow Paul, another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? Or in other words, are you not acting like the world, acting like those who have not received Christ as Lord and Savior? Now, as I was studying this, this, was, this is a very interesting chapter. I don't know how far we're going to get to it because I studied it on Monday and studied it on Tuesday and even went through it some more today. And I, and I ended up with almost five pages of notes on about 18 verses here. So, uh, But I don't want the, I want the journey. I'm not worried about the destination tonight. If we don't finish, I'll study some more on chapter 4 and we'll pick up on 3 and finish four and do into 4. But 
as I'm thinking about it, the first thing that, that, it, that came to my mind is that, uh, that Paul's preaching, and now this is from a leadership, and he's dealing with leaders. A lot of this is dealing with leadership in particular, but it does pour over into uh, the, the layperson's life or, or the believer's life. But I look at this, Paul's preaching was dictated by the condition of these people's hearts. Think about that for a minute. I'm kind of reading between the lines, but he says, I have to give you milk. Because of the condition of your heart, Paul's saying, I can't really give you the meat of the Word. I can't give you the meat that would actually help you to grow and develop into the image of Christ. Since carnal people cannot receive spiritual truth, Paul, or maybe the Holy Spirit through Paul, could not share the real meat of the gospel with these Corinthians, with these Christians. All the responsibility, this is what the Lord laid, and this is probably for me, but I know I have, I know I have church leaders here, whether you're vocational or whether you're uh, part of my dream team and some form of leadership within the church, uh, and especially in teaching and, and, and mentoring people or discipling people, um, the responsibility of ministry does not rest on you as the minister alone. It's real easy for me to take my identity on where you are. Okay, And that's not fair to myself. Now, that doesn't let me off the burden off of me of preparing and teaching and trying to push, drag, and pull you uh, to where God is trying to take you and us as a church. But Paul is saying, if there's anyone who, who knew the meat of the Word, it was Paul. Right. See? Yes, Carl? Isn't Paul trying to tell him very Oh, well, we're getting there. Absolutely. That's basically what he's saying. And, he, and he's saying it in a loving manner, but a very firm manner. You're going to hear that in just a minute. And really, he starts right here. He says, I've already come to you. I, I, I've already given you the milk. And basically, he's saying... And you still have the bottle. You still, you're still on the bottle. You have not developed. You've not grown. Even, even with Apollos coming and discipling you, remember, I really, there's some commentators, and I'm not here to argue and say I'm smarter than them. Obviously, I read other comment, I read all kinds of commentaries, and there's people who speak into my life through the writings. Some of them are gone on to be with the Lord now. Some of them think that, that Paul and, and, and Apollos were actual rivals, but I don't necessarily sense that. At least, at least Paul is not making that a public rival here. This is not because Paul is, is publicly rivaling with Apollos and saying, I'm better than Apollos. If anything, he's taking the, the high road and humbling himself here as you finish this particular chapter. Uh, I, I think he's just trying to help them understand by doing this, you're causing division because this is about unity here. And you're causing division by elevating one person above another. Okay? And this is, this is what he, he is dealing with here. And the condition of the people they minister to also governs what and how they can be ministered to. See, Now the challenge of church leadership is this. You can only go as fast as... The, as an, um, how do I want to put it? We're only as, as strong as the weakest link, so you have to be able to strengthen the weakest link. And sometimes doing that is a challenge to also continue to help the stronger links to grow and strength, if that makes sense. Okay, And so there's a challenge. When I was doing children's ministries, uh, it, was, it was you could actually shoot at an age because where a child was with age, a lot of time depicted where they were in their learning, right? So where I'd have first graders through fifth graders, sometimes sixth graders, depending on on 
where they were at, because I would bring sixth graders back into children's ministries if they weren't emotionally mature enough to go on with the youth. I mean, I used that flexibility, but I'd shoot for about a third grader, fourth grader in understanding. That way their first graders may not get everything, but they could get some of it. But I also had to make sure that the fifth graders were challenged with their learning. It's, that's a little bit harder in an adult congregation. Brother Joey? They were. And trying to give filet, filet mignon to another, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> it, you're right. Absolutely. And let me say this, because those who are following us on our podcast may not be able to hear you. But, Joe, you bring up a good point, not saying that, well, my job is a little bit harder, but I also feel like uh, that's the reason why Paul could make a blanket statement here, too, because he had a, a good feel because they all were fairly new in, in, in their walk with the Lord. You're absolutely right. Yes, Brother Jim, you had your hand up? I think the way I've always tried to do, and I think any teacher does, teaching adult classes, that's where, you know, you, you have to teach a little bit different because, like you say, you don't know what level they are. But I always try to really heavy concentrate when I'm putting my lesson together that I cover things from the high chair to the rocking chair. Mm -hmm. Because you don't know where they are. You don't know where they're at. Spiritually <clears throat> in between. Not, and you don't, you can't look at age-wise. No, no. You can't, you can't look at that because someone in their 60s might still be in a high chair. Absolutely. 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 And that's the challenge. So, so this is how I usually approach um, group teaching like this, um, is I, pre I prepare, but the reality of it is, wherever you're at, the Holy Spirit hopefully will help you digest it. And here's the thing, if you're hungry, if you want to learn, you will learn, and you'll take what I've said here, or, or in any other class, a small group, a Christian education setting, even Sunday morning preaching, uh, you will take it and you will, you will chew on it a little bit more. And, uh, and then there's a discipleship process. And I think, I think, and there again, this is not really going along with my lesson tonight, but let me just go ahead and say this and we'll move forward. <clears throat> I think that's one reason why I'm trying to focus on small groups. That's why I consider this a small group, although it's a larger small group. We miss it a lot. We, we've, we've focused so much on the size of our congregations that it's been at the cost of discipleship. It really has. I'll never forget, um, oh, Rick, was it not Rick Warren? Who was the other guy that, uh, who did uh, mega churches? That, um, he, was a big, he was really big on, on the circuit for many years. Oh, he's a major name. Not, he came after Rick Warren. But he, he finally came out and made a statement. Forgive me for not remembering the gentleman's name. It'll come to me eventually. Um, he made the statement that if you want to see, if you want to learn how to grow a large church, and I'm, I don't want to misquote him, but I'm going to paraphrase it, grow a large church and put on a great production, not meaning in a negative sense, but able to, to really put on a professional words, everything. He says, come watch us. He said, but if you want to learn how to discipleship, we missed it. And I'm trying to remember his name because it was one of the most profound messages. He had a mega church up north. And, for, and you, we have not heard a whole lot out of him since then. That was about 10 years ago. So, uh, Francis Chan? not Francis Chan, no. Hybels, yeah. 
Yeah, and he and he came up. Yes, yes, yes. And what he realized was is that not that what he was doing was wrong, but it was that he got he was so large that he really couldn't do discipleship, small groups. All right, and so with it, they they missed they missed it. That's the reason why today a lot of your more successful churches, successful if you want to call it successful, on size wise, but maybe the the mega churches today that are having success in discipleship are those who are doing small groups. And Highlands Church of the Highlands is a great example of that. They 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 really focus on small groups. Yes, Alex. Right. Every single one of them had their own unique culture. Mm-hmm. And he ended up actually, quote unquote, downsizing. And what he did was he gave the building and everything to the campus pastor and said, Go. Take it. Yeah. 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 That's, that's the reason why I, I, and I want to be careful about saying anything negative about megachurches because I am very much not anti megachurches. They do some things that we can't do, especially in, in the financial realm of planting churches and supporting missions. Um, but if God were to, if that is God's blessings upon this church, then I want to make sure, and I, and I think Highlands is an example. There's other great churches out there. It has to be through, growth has to come through small groups, is what my point is, because of relationships. I kind of chased that rabbit, but let's, we'll try to bring it back to what's tonight. But um, I, think that, that, I think that's very important because we have to grow. As we continue in this chapter, you're going to see the importance of this. The next, as I read this, and I know we're only on the first four verses, there's just so much to unpack here. I notice Paul uses the word, the word, the word yes, Lord, loose these tongues, worldly or carnal, depending on which uh, version the, uh, that you're reading, in describing these people as opposed to people who live by the Spirit. This is important. I believe it's safe to say most of us know what a worldly Christian is, although that is, to me is almost a conflict of terms. But Paul is using it here, and I think within the context, I understand why he's using it and, and how he can feel comfortable using it. Um, but what is a spiritual Christian? So let's take a few moments. I really want us to, to dissect this, because we may all have... I'm, I'm, we can look out there and say, oh, that person's a carnal Christian. That, you know, okay. But, all right, that, that's, that's pointing out the, the, the negative or the end. But let's turn around and say, then what, what is a spiritual Christian? I'm sorry, say it one more time, Pastor Ben. Someone that works with the body. Someone that works with the body of Christ. Okay, so yeah, part of the collective, not out there on his own. Good, okay. The other Ben? I'm going to agree with that answer, but now we got to put flesh on it. So I, I, I don't want to just spend the next 30 minutes just dissecting it because I think there's a lot of characteristics to a spiritual Christian, but there are a few obvious ones that, that will lead to the rest of them. Brother Jim. You know, just sitting here trying to think of something. When you go to the Scriptures, you, I think a, a Christian living in spirit has to be willing to do two things. First of all, receive Christ. And let Christ come into him, mm-hmm. which is salvation. 
but then get to that point where he's baptized in Christ and has Christ on him. Okay, clothed, clothed, as Paul would use the term clothed in Christ. Okay, good. All right, so let's put it, let's, okay, we've got the bones, so let's start putting sinew and, and ligaments on this. I, I'm not looking for necessarily specific things, but I am looking for a few things. Ben? Jesus, Jesus went away to take care of himself. So when he'd been with the crowds, he would retreat from the crowds. It was, it was not all about the crowds. He didn't dismiss them. Correct. He cared for them, but when he was cooked, he was cooked. And he would go away to be with the Lord, uh, to be with his Father. To regenerate, yes. Absolutely, okay. Brother Joey? The very basis to that would be they have to fulfill the Great Commission. Okay. Part, yes. Okay. The Great Commission being? Reach the lost and, and build disciples. That's right. That, that's, and, and signs will follow. And that's a very broad stroke. And the details to that broad stroke depends on who you are and God's calling to you. All right, so we're, we're starting to get down because I'm getting to a term that you all know, but we, uh, that really is, is, is the broad stroke, but it's also not a broad stroke. It's actually a narrow stroke, and I'll get to it in just a minute as I give you guys opportunity. Somebody else said their hand up? Yes, Mary Lou? I think those people that are still on the milk, and they're, they're suffering like Okay. Okay. Yes, he planted the church, but Apollos, Apollos that's the reason why he's saying this. Apollos was, came in and deci helped disciple many of them because Paul left, okay? So. When, he, when they could, they needed to talk to him, like, okay, we have a disagreement with y'all are different. Mm -hmm. we're, we're, let's Okay, very good. Okay. Anybody else? I'm going to use a broad stroke with this. And what I mean by that is this is, this is almost kind of like saying pulling the God card. The answer, when I was doing children's ministries, uh, uh, one of the go-to answers the kids would always go to would be Jesus, right? I mean, you know, there's, Jesus is like the answer to any biblical question, all right? So this is kind of that kind of answer. But I want you to really think about it because we be you believe this. But now, how do we put it into practice? This is, this is what I put as, as I started asking, what does a spiritually mature Christian look like? I put down, it is someone who lives by the Spirit. That's a broad stroke. But when you think about it, it's not as broad as you think. It's not as generic as you think. Spiritual Christians are believers who are being governed by the Spirit of God 24-7. I want you to think about that. 24-7. Well, it may be hard to be governed by God when you're asleep. I understand. But okay, you're waking time. You're being governed by the Spirit of God. Okay? This is not to say that your actions, all your actions are perfect by any means. But you are controlled more by the Spirit than you are by your fleshly desires. Because let's be honest, we still have fleshly desires. Is that not the battle? If we didn't, if they all went away, wouldn't it be easy to be a Christian? And the best Christian in the world, wouldn't it? The strongest follower in the world, right? No doubt. Miracles happening. But what happens is, is we still have fleshly tendencies and there's a battle. I, I always say it. Paul, who is actually teaching, speaking to us on this, said, I beat my body black and blue daily. 
to submission to the cause of Christ. It was a daily battle for St. Paul. Think about this. We don't see it as much in Christ's life, but I know that Christ battled. He never sinned, but he, if, if, it, if it wasn't easy for him, it would not be a big deal in the Bible. It could not have been easy for him. If, if we're going to say that living in this life in the physical realm was easy for Jesus, then I don't see, the, the sacrifice on the cross is still important, but then how could, he, how could he relate to what we go through is what my point is. That doesn't mean he went around lusting. It doesn't mean he went around thinking about stealing. He didn't go around thinking about lying. But the temptation to better his situation in any given moment had to be there. And we face that every day. Every day we face the moment. Every day throughout the day we face opportunities that if we acted in the carnal, it would benefit our position. But we choose to be people of the Spirit, and so therefore we do what the Word of God, which is what a Spirit-led person does, lives by the Word of God, see, in, in every situation, in all circumstances. Uh, I'm trying to remember the, the name of a guy, and there again, forgive me, I don't know why I can't remember names to name me, but uh, I, think it was, I think it was the guy, the second in command to Jim Baker at PTL, I think he... Uh, forget his name, but he wrote a book called Situational um, Integrity. Life-changing book for me. I still have it. It's on my, in my library. It, it's talking about how Christians, depending on the circumstances, choose when they want to have integrity. Powerful book. And that's what his testimony was. He chose when and how he'd have integrity, and that's how he was able to be able, I won't say pulled in, that's my words, but how he felt, how he was involved with how things went so awry at the PTL club. See? And so it's called, but anyways, continue on. Through this verse, we can see the spiritual people are opposite of the worldly or carnal people. Worldly people are living their lives, whether good or bad. Carnal people can do some good things, but regardless if it's good or bad, through their own ability through their own strength, through their own wisdom. Remember, part of chapter 2, and we'll get back to this if we get this far in chapter 3, he's dealing with worldly wisdom as well. See, And Paul is saying here, look, we, we have to live for God. We have to be mature. And the only way we mature is by being in the Word of God and being led of the Spirit. The Spirit is the Spirit of truth, Jesus said, and He will bring back to you remembrance everything I said. The challenge with us is we didn't hear Jesus say it. They did. We have it in writing, so we have to read it for the Spirit to bring it back to our remembrance. And then we have to walk in obedience for it, okay? With it, rather, okay? Um, worldly people are those who, who are, are dominated by their physical senses, uh, what they can see, taste, hear, smell, and feel. Spiritual people are more dominated by God's Word than by their own feelings. And how many times has your feelings got you in trouble? Mine do. See, am I, am, am, is this making sense? I know we're only on verses 1 through 4 right here, but I'm, there's so much to unpack here. I don't want to just get to the end of this chapter and say, hey, we got another chapter done. I'm that guy that likes to get done with a chapter in one sitting. But as I was looking at this, there's just, there's just no way because this is life and death for the church, what he's talking about here. Feelings, absolutely, absolutely. We are. And, and that's it. But can I say this? Christians, we filter everything through the lens of our feelings, where we should be filtering everything through the lens of the Word of God. And that's the challenge. That's the difference from going through them. You know, it's just like a child. We're going to talk about 
real biological children here in a moment and, 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 and how they act. Uh, but that really is the challenge, though, isn't it? Is as a child grows up emotionally, they, you, you teach them that you, you don't fight, you don't hit, you, you, don't, you, don't, you don't talk back, you don't do these things, you're not rude. That's a sign of what? They're maturing emotionally, right? And they're starting to look at things from a different, through a different filter, through a different, from a mature perspective. And so we have to do that, but it's all based on God's Word. Now, here again, I'm going to tell you, you know this. I'm looking at everybody in here tonight. We all know this. But do we always do it? See? Mary Lou. Yes. Right. Absolutely. And that's a, I like that word. We have to be teachable. We have to, I have to be teachable. I, I, all right. Hi, my name's Tony. I do not know it all. And especially when it comes to the Word of God. You don't know how much just from studying this chapter this week. I'm sorry to disappoint you, Brother Jim. <laughs> Please don't leave the church. Uh, but uh, so how much Paul, or I shouldn't say Paul, the Holy Spirit through the writings of Paul, in just this chapter this week, just stuff I knew but just took me deeper into it and, and the realization. Hopefully I, I get to some of that here in, in just a moment tonight that, that it just speaks to me. In context now, but now let's bring it back into context. Chapter 1. Chapter 3, written to the Corinthians. So let's bring it back in there. In context, the issue that Paul was, was using to evaluate spirituality is people's ability. Listen, there's two things within context right here Paul is dealing with that helps determine spiritual maturity. And the first one is discerning spiritual truth. He dealt with that in chapter 1, or excuse me, chapter 2. Talk about wise. If you're wise in the world, no, be, 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 don't be wise as the world, but be wise as in God. So spiritual discernment, understanding spiritual truth, okay? And the other thing is the relationship with others. That's within context here. And what he's saying within context here, there's more to it than that, but two of the elements that you can tell whether someone is spiritually mature and not a babe in Christ anymore is how do they discern spiritual truth and the evidence of that, we have tests just like people, kids have tests in school too. We have tests every day in how we live our life that are going to evaluate, grade us on whether we truly discern spiritual truth. And a reflection of that is also this. How do we get along with others within the body of Christ? That's what he's dealing with here. It doesn't matter how often people go to church. What their dress code is. In other words, it doesn't regard how religious you look, no matter how big of a Bible you have. It really don't matter if you tithe and, or any of that kind of stuff, really. I mean, it matters in the big scheme, but as far as what Paul is talking about, it says it doesn't. If they're if they contentious and not able to discern spiritual truth, they are not spiritual. I don't know about that. When I looked at that this week, and, that, and you know, it's one of those things that, well, I knew that, but it's just like a wrecking ball hit me right between the eyes. Ow. Ow. If we get this right, if we will discern spiritual truth and, and choose to live by that spiritual truth, and we get this right, relationships right, unity within the body of Christ, then we get church right. We get the body of Christ. And I mean, I mean church. I don't mean this physical building. I'm talking about the body. We get that right. As we as a group, as individuals make up a group, we start understanding the spiritual principles of the Word of God and applying it to our lives. And that will have a direct reflection on our relationship. When we learn how to get along with each other, 
how to agree to disagree on issues, quit fussing and fighting, quit causing dissensions and divisions. We do that, then what happens is we start growing together. Now, you, you know what makes one... You know, when you get to the professional uh, football world, uh, not that I'm a big fan of... Any, any, any one of those players on that field at any given time, uh, they all make millions of dollars. They're, they're less than 5% of football players make it to the NFL, and they make big money, and they're, they're the best at what they do. But you can take the best team in the world, and, it, and that goes for soccer. It goes for other professional sports, other, the other football, the original football. But if they're not unified, if they're not together, they're not going to win. See? That's, that's the church. The first team was the church in God's eyes, in, God, in, in the kingdom of God. We, we are the team. And so we have, to, we have to be on the same page. I saw a hand, I thought. Did I say a hand? We had Brother Carl? Well, it's not just, I agree, yes, Carl, I agree. But it's getting in the Word and then discerning the spiritual truth of the Word. And then living, when you just, listen, the truth will set you free. But how does the truth set you free? You will know the truth is, how does the truth set you free when, free when you know it? You got to act on it. You, you have to act on the truth. If the truth is, okay, this church is on fire, and the truth is to get out of the fire and save my life, I have to go through that door where that fire exit is, and I don't do it, it didn't set me free. Why? Because I didn't do it. But you're right, Carl. This, it's the word of, it's, it is the Word of God. God gave us two things. Well, I could say God, Jesus gave us a lot of things, but it all comes through two things, the Word of God and the Spirit of Truth, the Holy Spirit. That's all we need. But we have to use the Word of God, and, we, and I hate to say use the Holy Spirit, but be in tune with the Holy Spirit. Actually, He uses us, but... We, we have to take a scripture that we know by heart and we've got to be able to take it and allow the Holy Spirit to take us to a different level in that scripture. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Everybody knows that. We know God loves us. That's why He sent Jesus. But what is the deep meaning there? There's, there is, there's so much depth there. I'm not going to take the time to go through it right now. That's a semester study. People have written books on John 3.16 because there's... But that's not the only scripture. I can take Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. On face value, we know from a child's standpoint, okay, God, in the very beginning, God created everything. Yeah. Oh, but there's so much depth to that. Especially as the universe keeps expanding, as scientists confess. Yes. Oh, absolutely. That's part of the learning process. Absolutely. Because let me tell you what, I can give you a book, all right? I'm not going to ask for hands, but every one of you have got at least one Bible, if not 20, in your home. How often do you pick it up? Do you pick it up as often as you come to church, hour-wise? Most Christians don't. Most. I'm not saying you don't, I'm just saying most. In other words, what I mean by that is, if you come here and you get 45 minutes of teaching, you come on Sunday mornings and you get 45 minutes of Sunday school, you come to the service and you get... 45 minutes of preaching, you do the math. All right, you do the math. Do you spend that quality of time from the other days of the week reading your word? You're, you're right. You're right, Josh. It's, it's more because why? Because God gave gifts to the church. And one of those two gifts is teachers. Right? Preachers, apostles, teachers, evangelists. Teachers, why? We need to be taught. Holy Spirit's the teacher. 
But Holy Spirit is going to give somebody the gift of teaching that's going to bring revelation to that scripture for you. See, That's why I believe in small groups and Christian education. That's the number one thing this church is going to do. Not come on Sundays and hear me preach. If you know the Word of God, then I can give you meat on Sunday morning. A lot more meat than what I could if you don't because you know the scripture. See, Yes, Ben? Right. That's, that's the point that he's highlighting. Or the, the, the fact that their, their, their infactions is a result of the maturity. It's yes. A result of the immaturity. That's right. The symptom that he has diagnosed the, their immaturity. That's yeah. right. That's so, Yes. So he, and they're all lined up behind different teachers. That's right. Paul, Apollos, Cephas, like... And they all were teaching the same thing, though. I mean, there's no evidence that they were teaching... But, and that's the point. And he's like, guys... Yeah, if you go on through the chapter, you're going to see. Who, who am I? Who is Apollos? Like, yeah. Have you not read the Bible? That's it. Like, well, and to, their, and to their defense, they didn't have the Bible like we do today. And they weren't even Hebrews, right? That's right. So, so yeah. So, uh, to, to, but he had already given them meat and they couldn't handle it, right? He said, I've, I've, you're, you're still infants. And this is several years later. So, they, yeah. So, you... you you get the feeling of, of, of a great picture of what this church is about. And then he uses this illustration, which is striking. He said, just as an infant can't handle meat but have to feed on milk, so worldly Christians can't handle the strong meat of righteousness by faith. So let's look at that. What are the characteristics of an infant child right now? I'm not talking about spiritually. I'm talking about you all that's had kids or have kids. Think about it. Uh, my grandpug does not count here, all right? So my son and my daughter, don't, don't, don't talk about my grandpug here, okay? But think about children for just a minute. Give me, give me, um, give me some, some characteristics, because he's comparing these Christians to children. So give me some characteristics of a child under the age of eight, let's say. I say a child who is still nursing can't walk on its own but has to have assistance. Okay, so that... That goes along with here, want to be served rather than serve anyone else. Doesn't a child want to serve? Mine, mine, me, me, right? Mom, hungry. Why? When they cry before they can talk, they, can, they, they, they cry because they're hungry. Josh? A child, it's all about the world revolves around them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Good. What else? We won't have to spend a whole lot of time. Just try to give you, get you in the scripture here. Carl? Oh, it is. It's all about me. Absolutely. Selfish. Mine. Receivers, not givers. They're the, They're the boss. But think about that. They're receivers. Now, obviously our kids give us joy. We know that. But think about their, how many times in the day do they give you joy compared to frustration? <laughs> how many times a day do they give you joy, but you have, and then compare that how much you have to give them, right? <laughs> yeah. I'm not knocking kids. I'm just saying it's because why? I, matter of fact, I don't want to hold this against them. Right. It's a maturity thing. That, that's the point. It, it's a maturity thing here. So I wrote down here something. Infants are sensitive and cry over the silliest things. Yeah. Alex? I like how Paul's, the imagery that Paul's using here because he, in, refer, in, in comparing the immature Christians, the immature believers to children, he's also saying under, you know, subliminally it's also, hey, those of you that are mature, you're responsible for yeah. that. You are, you are responsible. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Because a there child is. cannot survive without the parent. You have to have, that's absolutely right. right. So absolutely. It's like the, the immature Christians, they're living off of milk. So if you take away the source of the milk, 
and take away the milk, then they're going to starve. Starve, absolutely. And I think that's an important lesson for even us today is, is hey. We can't, just because they're this way, that's like for me as a pastor. Just because I may have some immature Christians in the church doesn't mean I can just forbade them, forget them, and let them go. No, I, I go after them like the, like the shepherd goes after the one. Now, I'll be honest with you, I only chase so far. I only be rejected so far, but I, I never give give up on them. You had your hand back there in the sound booth, Mr. Brian Hood. I, I get a lot of. I can do it myself. Can do it myself. They want to be. They get to a place where they want to be independent. Oh my word! They don't want direction. They don't want help. Oh, oh, good, good one, good one. I see another hand over here. Yes. I was just going to say, okay, so it's okay for them to be a baby a while. A while. There's no because why? We all have to start somewhere, physically. Emotionally and spiritually, don't we? Think about it. We do. We're triune being. All right. I wrote this down too. Infants can, can't see past right now. They want to be coddled, right? Uh, they have to be taught and corrected so they can mature. Okay. What's interesting is that infants naturally grow. I just said this. They naturally grow physically, and, and unless there's a physical sickness or ailment, and they, for the most part, they do mature emotionally. But they don't spiritually. And so it is with adults. You, you reach a point, I hope I don't grow anymore physically. I hope I do grow emotionally. I'm not a ride, but obviously I, I, I hope I'm, I'm emotionally mature. Um, but spiritually, I, haven't, I hope I haven't stopped growing. See, there, there, But there has to be intentionality. You have to be intentional about this. Um, but spiritual growth doesn't happen automatically. They have to want to grow spiritually. We have to want to grow spiritually. And we have to be taught or discipled. Even I have to be taught and discipled. Not that I'm putting me above you, but I'm the pastor. If I need it, how much more do you need it as a sheep? See, Yeah, and this is what the writer of Hebrews was referring to. Remember, we just got done with Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12 says, In fact, though my, by this time you ought to be teachers, remember this from, from Hebrews? You need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God, of God's Word, all over again. Because either you didn't apply it, uh, you don't remember it. Obviously, there's the evidence that you don't remember it or didn't apply it is what? Your actions is what the writer of Hebrews is talking about. He says, you need milk, not solid food. <laughs> Anyone who lives on milk being still an infant is not adequate with the teachings about righteousness, right standing with God. But solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. See, going back to Joey. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and, and honestly, Brother Joey, that, that, that is difficult in the, in the modern church world today as far as accountability because nobody wants to be accountable and no one really wants to be accountable to the pastor. That's what I'm saying. No one, no one wants to be accountable. No one wants to receive it. Right. And, we've, and you know, I don't want to chase another rabbit and talk about grace, but oh, I got grace. Yeah, but you need to remember what the grace is for. <laughs> It's a safety line, not, not a privilege to make you be able to go do what you want to, but a safety line to if you do fall, if you do sin, that God says, okay, come on, let me help you. Let's get it right this time. Say, Carl? A lot of immature 
They don't want it. And that's, they take the thing and make it the way they want it. Or they hear it and think it's about their neighbor or their spouse and not themselves. I <laughs> see. Yeah, yeah. So, all right. So, let's go back to what the subject Paul is dealing with here. He's dealing with unity at this point still, right? Unity, get along. Remember, you, you say, I follow Paulus. You say, I follow Cephas. You say, I follow, I follow Paul. All right? But these Christians are not mature, and Paul is speaking or preaching to them about unity. What does that tell you about unity? In the context of meat, milk, maturity. Right? We've kind of already said it, but let's go back and restate. I think they were thinking more along the lines of what we could compare it to today. They were more concerned about who they were taught by than being a Christian, just like some people are. Yes. More, they're more uh, attached to their denomination than yes. they are a Christian. And you, they'll, you'll say, are you a Christian? And the first thing they do is tell you their denomination. Absolutely right. Yeah. Well, and in their day here, especially from the Jewish standpoint, I can't necessarily speak from the Gentile standpoint, but from a Jewish standpoint, if he's, if he's speaking to uh, converted Jews from Judaism, they were very big about who they taught under, right? I mean, they, in other words, they were just like Jesus. The disciples were followers of Jesus. We use that day, we're followers, but that's because we identify with his that's right, Savior, but his teachings as, as well. No, it's the same in both, yeah. And so that does, have, that does play a part in it. Ben? Uh, I was listening and I actually forgot what I was Okay. <laughs> I wrote this, the subject, unity, understanding the need for unity is milk. And it should be understandable. In other words, he's saying, I'm teaching you on unity. You're infants. You're not unified. But you should be able to understand the need for unity. And so unity is a basic component of building maturity as a, as a Christian. See? I was going to say, it's a, it's a fruit of Absolutely. the Spirit's life. That's right. There you go. Unity. It, and it doesn't mean we all agree on everything. When it comes doctrinal, we do. All right? But that doesn't, that, that, that's just like I'm unified with other other. Uh, um, Christians in this in in our in our county or in, in our in our in, in the West Florida district, whatever you want to call uh, the Panhandles, what I was looking for. Even though they may not be in my denomination, I may not agree with everything. As, how, how do one say it? Certain things we we agree to disagree, but I'm in unity with them as they follow Christ. Does that make sense? What I'm talking about? Um, Maybe there's some bigger fish to fry. Uh, yeah. I don't really care if you're if, if you're Baptist or that's right. There you go. But, but what about loving God and loving people? Loving God, loving people. And, and where, where, where does your life reflect that you're truly a follower? And if they're following Christ and there's fruit of that, there's evidence to, 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 to prove the evidence of that, then, then absolutely. I, I've got ministers who are not AG that I, I have relationships with. All right? I don't let the fact that they don't exactly believe the way I believe. They get the foundation, the fundamentals right, but they may not. The big one, we know what the big one is in the Pentecostal world, is they don't. And, and how we believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Don't say that they don't believe in the Holy Spirit because they do. They just don't believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. My point, I'm, and I'm chasing, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm rambling, but my point I'm trying to make is the fact that um, I'm not going to let that keep me from being united to, to them, is that my, if that makes sense. In other words, I'm not going to shun them, is what I'm trying to say. I hope that came out the way I meant it for them. So, um, 
I find it interesting, and we'll close with this because we're down to about 10 minutes and and we'll, we'll, we'll get through the first four verses, and next week hopefully we'll finish the chapter. But my last note on these first four verses was, I find it interesting that the church today, I feel, has a tendency to focus more on immorality. And immorality is important, so don't, don't say that, oh, go and live, because I think I've said enough things tonight to let you know you don't have a right to live your life the way you desire, according to your feelings, according to the natural, the carnal, because you're bought with a price, you're not your own. But I, I, we focus so much on that, and, but... It seems we seem to ignore the lack of unity among the believers. Say, Mary Lou. We do. That are coming along. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, and, and I think Mary Lou, you bring a good point. We do, but it, it, it it's almost as if there's some. Let me put it this way. That I. I'm patient. I'm not saying I'm right in this. I'm patient with Christians as long as they are showing that they're really wanting to grow in the Lord. I extend grace to them. But it's those who don't, that's where I get impatient with them. See? It's just like our own kids, right? We're patient with them as we're teaching them. And it's like, how many times I have to tell you, when you take your dirty clothes off, put them in the, the, the clothes hamper. Right? How many times I tell, oh, come on, you know. How many times, I mean, true story, and we'll close with this. Um, when, when Alex was young, um, that's Alex back there in the back, he, he, uh, he, he got a nickname. Um, because, and this is probably a bad example, but it just came to mind, so I believe it's the Holy Spirit leading me here. Uh, he got a nickname called Sippy Cup. And he was giving that to a friend of our family. And the reason why is because he kept knocking his drink over at restaurants. And so they finally, even up into middle school, I don't know, he may have been in high school. Yeah. And so, because we always had to get him a kid's cup, even then with a little called a sippy cup. All right. And the reality of it is, he really didn't have a problem because he was just careless. That he just, you know, being, being a kid, being goofy. Uh, but we finally lost patience with him. We finally said, no, for now on, you get a, you get a cup with a lid on it because we got tired of having to clean up his mess, even when he was in... 7th and 8th grade. So, anyways, it's that kind of... Finally, you get to the point, look, you're not going to learn. I've lost patience with you. So. <laughs> oh, I know he will. But you know what? I, don't, I won't remember. I won't be able to... I won't, I, I won't know him then. So, anyways. Hunt list of homes. He's threatening to send me... He got that from me, though, because I threatened my dad with that. If he didn't behave himself, I would find the darkest, dirtiest, nastiest uh, nursing home, and I'd put him in it one day. So, if he didn't behave... so. Um, anyhow, and that, that is a joke, so that is a joke. I would never do that to my father. So, matter of fact, he's got a room at my house anytime he's ready to live with me. So, yes, Alex. So, I, I, when, I think you kind of, you hit on a good point there towards the end, talking about, you know, the, um, focusing on the immorality, right? Yeah. And I think that sometimes we get caught up in moralisms, and we, we masquerade spirituality with moralism. Yeah. And what, that, what I'm trying to say there is, we have to understand that, especially with the immature Christians and even people who don't believe, their moral compass is not going to be the same as ours. Right. Especially with young Christians or and absolutely being in their spiritual development, they're learning. Right. Um, and to be honest with you, there are, there are still people who have been Christians for a while who focus.
the social change that you should be experiencing rather than spiritual Yeah, and, and, what, and what you're dealing with with that type of mentality or thinking is actually an Old Testament way of thinking. They went through the sacrifices hoping that, and, and that's the way God had originally designed it, but it was just a foreshadowing of the New Testament for those who were in my Hebrew study, right? That they would do outwardly with the sacrifice so that the inwardly would be covered or the sin. But Christ, even through the Old Testament prophets, prophesied and Christ did it. He wanted it, a circumcision of the heart and let what God does on the inside change your outside. See, my, my whole thing is, if someone receives Christ as Lord and Savior, I don't care how old they are or how young they are, if they're genuinely hungry for the Word of God and what God wants to do in their life, moral issues will not be a problem. When they come to the realization, whoo, I don't need to talk about people. Oh, I don't need to go do this. I don't, that's not going to be an issue. See my point? But what we have a tendency to do with human nature is, what is sin? How close can I get to it before it becomes before it? Be, and my whole thing is, I don't do I sin? I sin. All right, I struggle just like everybody else does in, in life with, with with attitude, with temper, with with whatever. Okay, I don't even want to start labeling things. All right, why does that grieve me? It grieves me because it grieves God. I am not worried about about not going to heaven. I'm, I'm more worried about standing for God. And we were eventually going to get to that in, in, in the, the, uh, the uh, judgment seat of Christ where I stand before Him. I don't, I don't want to be disappointing to Him. I don't want to disappoint... Just like my mama. You know, I, I joke a lot, and it's true. I never got a spanking in my life from my mom or my dad. Never. And I know you probably... I, know I just went up, wow, really? I, Shocking. joining our podcast. Here at Bear Creek AG, our goal is to help others know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Have a great week.